Welcome to Palm Vista Community Church this fine Palm Sunday. This is the day traditionally the church celebrates the triumphal entry of Christ into Jerusalem beginning Passion Week, beginning his passion, his death on the cross for our sins. And as Corey mentioned, I just want you to bring folks with you this Friday night, 7.30. Perhaps they'll be open to a Good Friday service, perhaps out of curiosity about what Christians do during this week where we commemorate the death and resurrection of Christ. We live it every day of our lives, right? But this is a cultural holiday where people are more aware of it. So use this as an evangelism tool. Use this as a tool with your classmates, with your workmates, your neighbors, and invite them this Friday night, 7.30 p.m. So we we commemorate, we, we celebrate in a special way the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. What that is, is the core of the gospel. If you're here as a guest, maybe you're here for the first time, maybe you've been coming for many different Sundays, but you don't identify as a Christian. You're curious, you're open, but you're not a Christian. Well, this, what we're preaching here, and Friday night and next Sunday, is at the core of the gospel, of the message of God's redemptive work for us through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And, and if that does speak to you, then I would ask you this. Please consider the truths about Christ that we will be presenting to you, both through the word and graphically through the baptism. As these, this word and this symbol, this covenantal symbol that we will partake in, represent what Christ has done for us, who died and rose again from the dead for our sins. The title of this morning's sermon is, The Blessed One. The Blessed One. And our text is Psalm 118, verses 25 to 27. So, please turn there. Psalm 118, verses 25 to 27. And if you don't have a Bible, maybe you can look on with someone else. We do have some in the back there. And as you're turning to Psalm 118, verses 25 to 27, let me set the context for you. I want to set the context for you of when this psalm was read. And here's the context. Jerusalem, A.D. 33, at the beginning of the Jewish feast of Passover, thousands of pilgrims flooded the city to begin the most holy of the Jewish feasts. This feast was to commemorate and remember God's salvation, God's deliverance of his people from Egypt into the promised land through what we call the Exodus. Now at the reading of this psalm on this day in AD 33, 1400 years have passed since that Exodus and the Jews once again find themselves in bondage, but this time it's to the Romans. And so that spring, they go to Jerusalem and they bring their offerings to the temple and they call upon God to set them free and to reestablish the throne of David, the greatest of the Jewish kings. In other words, to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. And it was in this context, in a city charged with thousands and thousands of pilgrims, with the expectation of a savior, of some sort of deliverance from bondage, that Jesus made his triumphal entry on that Palm Sunday. The Gospels all had this account, and specifically Mark 11 speaks of this historical day. 
And at the end of that historical account in Mark 11, you will read the following on the screen. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Do you see it? Do you see it here in verse 10? The people's desire to restore the kingdom of David. David had died a thousand years earlier, but he was the greatest of kings of Israel. And they wanted to see that kingdom restored. They wanted to see someone come to kick the Romans out and reestablish the kingdom of Israel. And on that day, in verse 9, they sang Psalm 118, verses 25 to 27. They sang it unto God that he would deliver them from bondage. Do you find yourself this morning wishing that God would deliver you from bondage? Whatever it might be. It could be financial bondage. It could be relational bondage. It could be bondage to some sin in your life that's destroying you and those around you. But you find yourself crying out to God. You know your desperation. You know what you think when no one's around and you slam your fist on the desk and said, I did it again. I had that same attitude. I'm I'm bound. I'm caught. I, I, I keep doing what I don't want to do. I'm not doing what I want to do. Someone deliver me. Okay, take that intensity. And that's the intensity with which those people sang this psalm that we're about to read. Psalm 118, verses 25 to 27. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of The altar. This psalm was probably written some 500 years earlier, probably for the rededication of the new temple. And it had been sung for 500 years up until this day in AD 33 in Jerusalem. Every year the Jews would sing this song at Passover because God had delivered them, but they find themselves bound yet again. Maybe that's you. God has delivered you, but somehow, some way you are bound in some little way or some big way. And so we sing this psalm. Did you know that this was the last song sung at the end of the Last Supper? This is most probably what they sang right before they left and went over to the Mount of Olives that night. The Hebrew word in verse 25 that we translate save us. Do you see that? Look at verse 25. Save us. That Hebrew word is literally hashi ah. Nah. Mark translates it Hosanna. The word Hosanna means please save us. And it expresses the people's hope for a savior, a Messiah, to liberate them. They were looking for liberation from the Roman oppression. That's why they came to Jerusalem. They they brought their offerings And say, God, hear us. Here's our offerings in hopes that you, oh God, would please hear our cry for salvation. Little did they know that God would provide the offering in his son, Jesus Christ, the blessed one, 
The one who would literally save them. The blessed one who would come to bless them. And that's the main point of our text this morning. On the screen. The blessed one came to bless us. The blessed one came to bless us. Point one. The Jews have been looking for the blessed one who would come in the name of the Lord. Do you see that? Blessed is he in verse 26, who comes in the name of the Lord. All that simply means is he's coming with God's authority, with God's name to do God's will. And God's will is bless us, deliver us, save us, liberate us. And they rightly saw Jesus as that one. But what were they, what was their understanding about the blessed one? What did those Jews understand when they said the blessed one, blessed is he, the blessed one who comes in the name of the Lord? What was their understanding? Well, first, they understood that he would be a descendant of David. We saw that at the end of that Mark quote. Coming in the name of David's descendant who would reestablish the Davidic king. Why? Because David had been the greatest king of Israel. So they understood him to be a king. And you know what? Jesus was and is a king. As a matter of fact, Jesus is the king of kings. They also understood the blessed one to be the one who would usher in the kingdom of Israel, restoring its glory, restoring all that David and his son Solomon had experienced. But here is where their understanding ended. They did not understand that Jesus is the blessed one because he is God in the flesh. He is the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And he came in to usher the kingdom of God. Now, this kingdom of God is the reign of God, the rule of God. He came to restore what had been lost in the Garden of Eden. The very first humans, Adam and Eve, lived under God's rule as vice regents to extend that rule over all of creation. And then they rebelled against God. And they chose to go their own way. And sin and death were introduced as the righteous punishment for their rebellion. And every human being since is under the bondage of sin and death. As I am painfully aware, having buried my mother last week. We're all in bondage. That's the ultimate enemy. But God, being rich in mercy provided a savior. He promised a savior. And in Genesis 3, the chapter that delineates the fall for us, we find in verse 15, this promise of God. Look at it on the screen with me. I will put enmity between you. He was speaking to Satan, the serpent, and the woman, speaking of Eve, and between your offspring and her offspring. Circle offspring there on the screen. That's Jesus. He... Jesus shall bruise your head, and Jesus did that on the cross, and you shall bruise his heel. Satan did that on the cross as well. But who wins? You want a bruised heel or a bruised head? Bruised head, you die, especially if that bruise is terminal. Jesus is that promised offspring. Jesus is the blessed one because he fulfilled this promise to deliver us and liberate us from the ultimate bondage, and that being of sin and death. You see, they didn't understand what they were singing. Look at verse 27b. Curious phrase. 
Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. They were bringing sacrifices to the temple. But God is speaking here of a sacrifice, the once and for all sacrifice. Jesus was the offering coming into Jerusalem of that day, humble on a donkey that no one understood who would be the offering that would set his people free from the enemy. Even though they didn't understand it, God in his mercy had them go crazy over Jesus' entry. Right? The triumphal entry. That's one of the contrasts of this Passion Week. How could you be so cheering someone and a week later, jeering them? How can you celebrate them as the blessed one and crucify him as a cursed man? They didn't get that part. Do you? Oh, dear unbeliever, do you? This is the one who's come to deliver you from sin and death. Dear Christian, this is the one that comes to deliver you from those remnants of sin and death in your life that you are desperately wanting to be free of. See, they didn't understand that the blessed one would be the suffering one. They totally missed that. They totally missed Isaiah 53, 4 and 6 through 6 on the screen. They didn't get that the blessed one had to first suffer. They thought he would come as a military commander to throw the Romans out. They didn't understand that he would come first as a suffering saint to defeat the ultimate enemy. Not Rome, but sin and death. Look at Isaiah 53, 4 through 6. Surely he, speaking of Christ, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God. That's right. God brought the offering. God is the one who put Christ on the cross and, and, and Christ willingly went there, passing the test in the garden that we failed, the test of perfect obedience. Adam and Eve said no to God's will in the garden of Eden. Jesus said yes to God's will in the garden of Gethsemane, on his knees, crying, saying, not my will, but your will be done. What a savior. What a blessed one. Smitten and afflicted, smitten by God and afflicted. Verse five, but he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Just another word for sin. Upon him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace, peace with God and his wounds. And with his wounds, we are healed, healed of the fatal disease of sin that brings death. Verse six, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's right. The only one that didn't turn to his own way was Jesus. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. They couldn't yet understand that Jesus is the blessed one who would rise from the dead, ascend into heaven to the right hand of God the Father, where he intercedes for us. Listen, the blessed one is the one who intercedes for us. Dear unbeliever, he intercedes for you and that he takes the sin, the punishment for sin you deserve. And he rose from the dead for forgiveness and ascended into heaven Dear believer, he, he intercedes for us that way. But also, dear believer, he's, just, he's interceding for us right now. Romans eight thirty four. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? He died, rose, and ascended. Who indeed is interceding for us? They didn't understand that. Do you? Do you this morning? 
Dear non-believer, I pray that God the Holy Spirit would give you that understanding and you would bow your knee and you would repent and believe. Dear believer, do you understand? I want to encourage you this morning that it's Jesus who's at the right hand of the Father who makes you righteous by his righteousness, who's actually interceding for you. He interceded for you on that day and his intercession continues today, dear believer. Whatever problem you might have, whatever thing you're bringing to God, it is Jesus who's your advocate with God. That's encouraging. Even when things aren't going right, that's encouraging when you're sick. That's encouraging when you're suffering. That's encouraging when you don't understand. He hears your cry for help. His grace is available to you in very specific ways. Even when it feels like he's nowhere to be found. Oh friend, He's right there with you by his spirit and he's interceding for you at the right hand of the father. Jesus is the blessed one who came to bless us. Point two, the blessing. The pilgrims that day in AD 33 rightly looked to Jesus as the blessed one who would liberate them from oppression and restore the kingdom. But they wrongly understood the kingdom. They thought it was an ethnic Israel thing. And it never was that. Israel was God's people through whom the Savior would be born, but it was always to be for the nations. God said to Abraham at the very beginning, he said, through you I will bless the nations. Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. He's a Jew. That was the point. But they didn't understand that, so they wrongly thought that, well, what's going to happen is Jesus is militarily going to kick the Romans out. But see, Jesus came to liberate us from the bondage of Satan, sin, And death, through the sacrificial death, his sacrificial death on the cross. Death died that day. Jesus rose from the dead. He brings God's kingdom to God's people. He came to right the wrongs of the rebellion of man against God and to restore people to the place God originally had and to which God will restore us. And that's a place of ruling and reigning as vice regents underneath as princes and princesses. You ever wonder why it's so attractive for little girls to dress up as princesses? It's probably the one thing I like about Disney is seeing the joy in little girls' faces as they're running around dressed as little princesses. Why do we always want to see the prince ride in the white horse and sweep the, the girl off her feet and they ride happily ever after into the distance? No matter how many variations of that, that still works in a movie, does it not? All the girl goes, yeah. And the guys go, I guess so. I like the fight beforehand where he duked out the bad guy, but... Jesus fulfills all that because, listen, all of that is borrowed capital on the story of the king who does deliver us from our distress, rescues us by his life. He blesses us because he is the one who comes in the name of the Lord with the power of God, the will of God. He is God in the flesh. He's the only one who can do it to restore the blessing of fellowship with God that was broken through our rebellion in the Garden of Eden. Jesus came to bring the ultimate blessing, and we see that in verse 27. Look at it with me. Verse 27a of Psalm 118, the Lord is God, and he has made his light to shine upon us. He has made his light to shine upon us. New Testament would say it this way, he has taken us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Number six 
24 to 26 says it this way on the screen. This is a blessing that God commanded Aaron to, to speak over his people back in 1400 B.C. And it's the blessing that we see running throughout the scripture. This is the blessing that Paul is alluding to in the New Testament when he begins so many of his epistles with grace and peace to you in Christ Jesus. He's thinking about this. The people are thinking about this when they're crying out in A.D. 33, save us, O God. We should be thinking about this. This is the blessing. You want to know the blessing? Here it is. Numbers 6, 24 to 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Verse 26. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's walk through that blessing. Let's go back to verse 24. The first part of that blessing that Christ came to bring is the Lord bless you and keep you. Here's the deal. The Bible says this. Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. Now, some of you right now may feel forsaken in some way. Some of you may feel that you're in a situation that's very difficult. You're wondering, where is God? Here's the blessing. Because Jesus was forsaken for our sins, he will never forsake us if we are in him by his sovereign grace. He will keep you. He will keep you. Verse 25, the Lord make his face to shine upon you. The idea of God's face shining on us is God's favor on us. He will make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The blessing is we have God's grace. We have his favor that we did not earn, but that he gives to us because of what Christ did. What good news, dear Christian, dear non-Christian. This, this is the heart of the gospel. This is woven into the whole fabric, the DNA of Scripture. It's in our, ge- our genes as born-again sons and daughters of God. We have the blessing in us because of what Christ has done. And verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. See, that peace is peace with God. That's why Jesus said, I give you a peace that the world cannot take away from you. He doesn't give us peace in having a beautiful neighborhood with no crime and a full bank account and and, and wonderful children and perfect health in our body. That's not what he's talking about primarily here. He's talking about peace with God. You were at war with God and God always wins in that war. And Jesus came to bring peace. And that's why he said the world can't take that away from you. They can wage war on you in many ways. But they cannot take away the peace you have with God. What a peace. Now it does include healing. It does include other things. But primarily it's peace with God. This is the blessing. Some have said that most of the Bible is show. And number 6, 24 to 26 is tell. Remember show and tell? Show and tell. Numbers 6, 24 to 26 is the tell, and the rest of the Bible is the show. Here is the blessing. James would say this, but, but th- there's more grace for those who are humble. Paul spends whole books talking about this grace that comes in Christ. But the tell of it is Numbers 6, 24 to 26. It's the blessing God promised at the beginning. It's the blessing that he fulfills in Christ. It's the blessing these people were seeking. It's the blessing you and I seek together. And this blessing is at the heart of our prayer, dear church. If you would put the scripture back up. See, because this blessing is what enables us in verse 24 to cry out to God in honest prayer, using the Psalms, 
that are filled with men and women, that are filled with people that are crying out to God and don't quite understand God. But because I know I have the blessing in Christ, I can be honest with God and say, God, you said you would keep me in verse 24. You said you wouldn't abandon me, but I feel so alone. God wants to hear that prayer. He's not afraid of that prayer. In fact, faith is praying it to him. Not keeping silent about it, trying to be religious toward God, and then complain to everybody else. It's the other way. Complain to God. It's okay. The Bible's filled with that. Psalms are filled with that. They're great places where we could cry out to God and say, Oh God, keep me. Keep me. It can inform our prayers when we feel like there is no favor on us. Verse 25, the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. It's like, Lord, please, I don't feel like your face is shining upon me. I mean, I had an accident on the way to the hospital to take care of my hurt leg. Lord, where, where is your favor? Go to him. Go to him and he will give you, he will give you the, the assurance of his grace because he will point to the cross and say, that's the place. That's the place where liberation took place. There in Christ is where I have blessed you. And if I did not withhold my own son, how will I not with him freely give you all things? And we can pray with this assurance. And we can pray knowing that Jesus intercedes for us. And we can pray knowing that God will hear us and answer our prayers according to his will which sometimes isn't what we want, but ultimately it's what we need and will be for our good ultimately and his glory. And finally, verse 26, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Peace for your troubled soul. Peace, well, when you're in conflict with others and there is no peace at home and there is no peace at work, And there is definitely no peace when I'm driving in Miami. (laughs) And in that moment, I I can know that God has given me peace. And so, I can reach out in peace. Even as God lifted up his countenance to me when I was his enemy and made peace with me, He gives me the grace to lift up my countenance toward my enemies and look toward them instead of shunning them and say, I'm going to try to be a peacemaker because God made peace with me first. Listen, the worst lack of peace you can have is a lack of peace with God, but close right on the heels of that is when you're constantly at war with others in your heart. And if you're not careful, you become a bitter, arrogant, nasty, cynical negative person that's bondage jesus comes to set us free listen verse 24 if you go back to verse uh, 25 excuse me because the lord's face shines on me and is gracious to me my face can shine on those who maybe aren't being so gracious to me and instead of living my life with a frown on my face i can i can let my face shine upon those who haven't been so gracious to me because I know God has been gracious to me in Christ. See, here's here's what he's saying here. He's saying in the darkness of this world, if we were to turn every light off in this auditorium and it was pitch black, trust me, I've been in here when they've done that. You can't see anything. 
and I just turned on my little cell phone with this little lit screen, you'd be amazed how much light this provides. And so that's what God is saying. Jesus saying, I am the blessed one who came to bless you. And now I'm sending you as blessed ones to go bless others. And even though your little cell phone is not much light, but in the darkness of our world, just a little bit of graciousness, just a little bit of peace, just a little bit of understanding that God will keep us when we feel abandoned, will do wonders. We'll do wonders. And sometimes our cell phones go out and we're not very gracious people. That happened to me yesterday. Went out to eat with my family early in the morning. We got to a restaurant and I wasn't very gracious. We get there, large group, and I'm asking them, you know, to serve us. And they weren't very gracious to me. And I wasn't very gracious and kind. And I was embarrassed and ashamed about that. And I should have been. But you know what was so cool? The cell phone came back on briefly. (laughs) And at the end of the meal, we were gracious during the meal. Finally, I was. No one else knew what was going on. I think a few of my kids kind of say, whoa, dad's frowning again. (laughs) And and I went to the person and I thanked them. Actually, they had gone back to do something. I said, thank you for serving us. All right, so we're imperfect. Some days we're gracious, some days we're not. Some days we're peaceful and many days we're warlike. But Jesus has blessed us so that we can then go and bless others and provide a testimony of what Jesus has done for us. I'd like to pray for you right now. I'd like to pray that if you're an unbeliever and you do not know this blessing that comes from the blessed one, that God would convict your heart and that you would repent and you would believe in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And if you are a believer, I'd like to pray for you that the living God would encourage you if you feel right now abandoned, if you feel unkept, if you say, I don't see where the Lord has kept me. I don't see where the Lord has been gracious to me. I don't see where the Lord has been, has given me peace, then I pray that God would give you that assurance right now. Jesus has come to encourage you. Jesus has come to bless you. Jesus is here by his spirit. Let us pray. Father, I pray right now that you would convict hearts that are hardened towards you. And I pray that right now they would understand that you, Jesus, are the blessed one who came to bless them in the only way possible, and that is by taking the curse of their sin on the cross, rising from the dead for their forgiveness, ascended into heaven and have poured out the Spirit. Lord, would you be gracious to your elect right now, pour out your Spirit and convict them. Bring them life. Instead of living in the fear of death, they would know the king of life, the one who's conquered sin and death. And for the Christian, Lord, I pray, encourage them. The one who feels all alone right now. Lord, would you pour into their soul the assurance that you will keep them. You will never abandon them. The one who is struggling with grace and graciousness and is God's favor on me or not, they would know it is because Christ has given it to them. And the one who's at war in his soul or her soul Lord, bring, bring a reminder to the Christian that you've made peace with them when they were helpless to do anything about it. And may they make peace with others. In Jesus' name, amen.